the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. To have faith in God is not a stagnant state. It's a journey. As a believer, we should grow in our knowledge of God and His Word. Walk with Alan Cutting and many other believers as together we walk the believer's journey. Aloha and welcome again to the believer's journey it's so nice to have you join us and participate. Um, one thing I'd like to ask of everybody, if you haven't subscribed uh, to our channel on YouTube, I would really appreciate it if you would do so. I mean, there's a little thing there that says subscribe. Um, it's real easy. All it is is if you happen to watch our program um, regularly, which I know there's probably twice as many people that watch that are subscribed, maybe three times. If you do that, then it's really easy to get on our program. Just type, just go to your uh, YouTube and our name will be on the left-hand side. Otherwise, you got to type it in every time. So if you subscribe, it'd be really nice. Um, continue the comments. I really enjoy the comments. I enjoy the questions. In fact, that's what today's show is all about. We're having what we call questions on the fly. This is number seven with Angela Montez. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I want everybody to pray for us, uh, pray for our, our ministry. We are we're getting close to uh, leaving for uh, Eastern Europe into Moldova, and it's going to be a nice long trip, and we're doing all kinds of uh, ministry while we're out there. In fact, I'll be doing some videos while we're there as well. Um, on our way there, we'll be in Ephesus, so I'll be able to record some Ephesus and Rome and and we have a studio, I believe, in Moldova where we'll, we will be able to um, do a couple programs there. Anyway, um, uh, my guest, Angela, how are you doing today? Uh, doing good. Almost didn't make it. I uh, traffic backed up on bidders, but I got here. <laughs> For those of you who are in San Antonio, understand this, but on the north, those of you who are not here, on the north end of the central part of San Antonio, there is um, an abundance of traffic because of uh, construction. They're redoing and building uh, freeways and roads, and uh, sometimes I wonder where their brain is when they're making a sidewalk in the middle of the afternoon when we're having the full traffic and they're putting everything into one lane. It's like, build a sidewalk on the weekend or at night. <laughs> you, know, you wonder sometimes. Yeah, I know, and it, it change the pattern changes. So one lane may be closed one day, but then it's open the next, or you may be expecting that open lane all of a sudden it's shut down, and you're down to like one lane. So it's, it's you know when they had the earthquakes in California, um, I remember there was in the San Fernando Valley, uh, they have this uh, freeway that would swoop down just above the San Fernando Valley uh, from one end to the other end of the Santa Clarita Valley. And during the 1994 earthquake, it, the, that whole bridge or whatever it was fell over or came down. Wow. So they had to rebuild it. And they rebuilt their freeways. There are three of them that I know of that were 
messed up really bad. They were torn up or broken off, or whatever. And within a year, they were all done. Wow. And here we're in San Antonio, and it's several years, and they're not even fixing things. They're just doing it. It's like, <laughs> you know, they're on siesta half the time. I wouldn't even talk about, like, I-35. Yeah. Perpetual. Like, my kids will still be, like, waiting for it to be done. I'll be gone. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. Well, um, is there any news on, on your uh, particular ministry you work in? Anything you want to share with our group? Um. Well, which one? Yeah. You're in more than one now? Well, yeah, you know me. I diversify. Okay. <laughs> well, share with us what's happening in... So, at Nurse Family Partnership, we opened, which is a nonprofit, we opened another site at Texas A&M, whoop, College of Nursing. So, we'll be serving Brazos County now with um, nurse home visitors, which we're super excited about. Um, at Communities Under the Bridge, formerly known as Church Under the Bridge... Um, we, God just blessed us tremendously and we're just stepping out of faith and, um, we have leased the building behind us and we have started Bible study classes. Um, we have, uh, of course our clothing give out and we also have like, um, preach on the street. So we have people come and they just do prayers on the street. So we have using that building for different things. Um, and we just have a vision that God's going to help us. Um, expand even more and potentially, you know, put in showers and lockers for them to secure their stuff and, and bathe. So so they changed their name from Church Under the Bridge to Community Under the Bridge? We did um, on January 1st and because we do more than just church. Mm-hmm. So a church is a huge part of it. And, you know, when we think about discipleship is more for people who already believe and they go to church to have the discipleship. Evangelism is like reaching people who don't know him yet. And bringing him in. And then we have people who can discipleship. So we evangelize on the street. And then we discipleship him in with Bible studies. Um, but we do more than just that. Like we provide the clothing. We have a, a medical clinic. Um, we have a dental clinic. Um, they're hugely busy. And we even have uh, uh, Hope for Hounds. They come out and they provide animal services to um, their pets, the, the homeless pets. So it's just a, a maraud of wraparound services for us. Um, and we're showing, you know, people, it's all volunteers. <laughs> and we had um, the director of Church Under the Ridge on our program a mm-hmm. few months ago. Yeah. So all of you who have uh, prayed for this ministry, if you've donated or donated your time, you know, uh, I'm sure they're very thankful. Oh, yeah, um, so much so. I mean, it's tremendous to be able to go from serving food and having shirts one, once a week. We had serving food three times on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Sundays and church on Sunday to being able to serve food for seven days. So they get a hot meal every night. Um, and then adding in, you know, church services now on Fridays and Sundays. Um, and just the, I mean, God's just moving it in big direction. So keep up the prayers, keep up the support. Um, it's, it's a great organization. I can't wait to see how it grows. Okay. Well, that's good. That's great news. Love it. Well, let's go ahead and get to I know we have some lo- heavy and long questions we here. We do. So, he keeps um, asking me back. It's the double A threat. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I get to kind of cherry pick the questions, just to kind of start off. So this one caught my eye. From the United States, 
It seems like much of being poor is an attitude, and many of those who are poor are so because they do not make a decision to change their lifestyle. If Jesus said that the poor will be with you always, then why do we need to help feed or take care of the poor? And you can guess why I picked that question. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not because you're poor. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I have, I've had several guests on my program who deal with the poor. I mean, mm-hmm. one of the last uh, uh, Our Father's Kingdom services were on our program, I think, a few weeks ago. And they're out there helping people who are poor, in poverty, who to help them, prevent them, keep them, hopefully, from losing their home and going on the street. Mm-hmm. And they provide them with oh, toothbrushes or food or clothing and you know, furniture and so forth. And I had a long talk with them because it really hit me hard. And the attitude you know, that of a lot of people, a lot of Christians, you know, I'm talking about not just people out there in the world, but a lot of Christian attitudes are, are just that, you know, well, you know, well, you know, they're poor because they choose to be poor. And therefore, why should I worry about helping them with my hard earned money? Mm-hmm. And yet that may be true for a few people, but it's really not true for all of them. And I do know that there's a lot of people out there who are poor because of circumstances, mm-hmm. you know, and they're in a position they are because of something that happened to them. Um, and I think that though there are people in our churches and people in, in the world, uh, I don't know about the world at, at large, but I know at least in the, in the United States, there are a lot of people that get the feeling that, you know, why should I give to the poor? You know, it's just the very thing that he asked. Um, he believes it's an attitude of wanting to be poor. And I believe there is an attitude in some people of remaining where they are or just living where they are. And maybe because they don't have vision to go anywhere else. Mm-hmm. And I think it's our responsibility to share that vision. Jesus came to share vision, to pick ourselves up and follow him and do great things. Mm-hmm. Okay, now the great things were not to go out there and claim that I'm going to have a Cadillac and I'm going to have $50 million and get rich. That was not what he came and told us to do. His, his idea for us was to uh, claim righteousness in our life, holiness in our life, to follow him and to uh, love God with everything, love each other and do for each other. James says, you know, if you, somebody comes by and says, uh, help me, I need prayer. And all you do is say, yeah, I'll pray for you and walk away and you don't help their physical need. Well, what good is that? Mm-hmm. So that's kind of one answer to your question right there. I mean, the Bible says to help people who are poor. Jesus in Matthew 25 gives a pretty good dissertation about, you know, if you're there and, and you see me in jail or poor, without clothing, without food, and you do nothing, you know, mm-hmm. or you see others just like, just like treating me that way. Mm-hmm. And then at the very end of that, he says, for all those people who did not do all these things, who do not help the poor, who did not clothe their feet or so forth, you know, then I guess the gates of hell are wide open for you, you know. And he mm-hmm. goes on to the people who do help and do feed and so forth, then they'll be, they're like sheep to go into heaven opposed to the goats that don't. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a strong message um, 
about that. If you take out that one scripture that was just mentioned about Jesus saying the poor will be with us always. Okay, let's look at the, the situation. I believe this is a passage where Jesus is in the Pharisee's home and um, I'm sure they're wanting to impress him. And then mm-hmm. a woman comes in and pours expensive perfume on his feet and washes them with his her hair mm-hmm. and is crying, mm-hmm. you know. And so they got upset because uh, or the disciples, I think it was one of the disciples, it might have been Judas, said, you know, why, why are you letting her do this? I mean, we could take that perfume and sell it and give it to the poor. And that's when Jesus says, well, you know, what she is doing is she's honoring, you know, the son of man who will not be here very long. You'll have the poor with you always. Mm-hmm. So it has nothing to do with don't help the poor has everything to do with honoring Jesus and a particular moment in time of what is going on during this little sit-down dinner. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, when you take passages like that and you pull them out and you, you put them on your shelf like, okay, I'm going to live by this, and you're not bringing in all the other passages that will relate or conflict with that so that you have a balanced walk in the Scripture that I think you're doing yourself a disservice of the way you look at Scripture and the way you read Scripture or don't read Scripture, but the way you follow Scripture. Yeah, it's very true. I like that. Um, gosh, man, that always makes me think of C.C. Winans' song, The Alabaster Box. Like, that song gets me in the feels every time. Like, <clears throat> talks about that. But um, I had this discussion just last night with my sister-in-law about that, and... Um, talking about this amazing woman who at 41 had a stroke and her marriage had been on the rocks and her marriage dissolved and and she lost her job of course because she couldn't work and then she couldn't drive and so she ended up pretty much on the streets and we just take for granted I think that um that we're always going to be rich and that we'll never be in that spot but there are many people who live a paycheck away from the street and it was amazing to see how many people during COVID that we saw new on the street with their suitcases in shock. Well, two things. Many, many, many of our, our denominations started by reaching out to the poor. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Church of the Nazarene is famous for going to the streets of L.A. in the poor area of town and starting their denomination. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's huge. I mean, you have other denominations. That's what they did. Um and I think it's important that we understand this is the basis of, of growth of bringing the church together to honoring Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I think that once we lose sight of that, I think, you know, we have lost sight of the very fact that who did Jesus teach to? Mm-hmm. The poor mm-hmm. by the thousands. So if Jesus is our model and he is the person that we follow then it, it makes sense that we, we do the very same things. Mm-hmm. I think once we get the idea that, gee, I've stepped up and above all that, so I don't need to help them because I'm doing so well and I, God is blessing me and we lose sight of that, mm-hmm. what we need to do is get back to a place of reality. Mm-hmm. It's like the parent who doesn't understand the teenager because they can't think like a teenager because they're no longer a teenager, they're right. just a parent. You have to understand, teenagers are teenagers because they're teenagers and they think like teenagers because that's their world. Mm-hmm. You know, if you forget that, then you're, you're forgetting the idea that you were a teenager once and probably didn't thought the same things. 
And a lot of people who are poor are poor and maybe remain there because they have no hope. They don't have the stuff inside that says, get up and go. They need somebody to help them up, to walk along with them, to guide them. They need that. Every person needs that. It doesn't matter where in life you are. Uh, one of our best friends in our in our lives, um, his wife passed away. He's a well-known uh, person in the ministerial field. Well, just because he's a well-known person in the ministerial field doesn't need, mean he doesn't need help and walk alongside to mm -hmm. have that boost. Of course he does. We all do. Exactly. And that's why it's important that we recognize the poor. Not because of anything except for we can be encouraging and helping and lifting them up. And Jesus will honor us for doing that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. It, you know, I think we forget, too, sometimes that we didn't make our own success, even though we think we did. If we really reflect back on how we got to where we are today, we can pinpoint, like, someone gave me an opportunity to have this job. You know, just little things like that. We didn't do it on our own. We had people along the way. We just didn't maybe recognize it. Um, and, you know, we had God helping open some doors as well, right? It doesn't mean he doesn't open doors for them, but some of those people that I see on the street, they don't have anybody. Well, I can't imagine and, the amount of trauma they've gone through, too. And think about this. Mm -hmm. You're blessed in life. Who Who's your blessing? You or, or God? Who mm -hmm. blessed you with what you do have? Mm -hmm. It was God that blessed you. It was God that gave to you whatever it was to get you where you are. Mm -hmm. So... You know, you can't put it on yourself. If you do, you're basically a hypocrite one way or the other. Yeah. So I hope that answered the question. That was a great question. I think it did. That was a really good explanation. Um, so I kind of want to go into this. Um, <sighs> so many choices. <laughs> I think this kind of flows with that. So this is an, a question from Canada. Um, this person, I love God, and I have a problem with church and organized man-made religion engrossed in their own politics. There are so many hypocrites in the church, and I don't want to associate or hang around them. Isn't it better and wiser for me to live at peace with God without all those fake church-going sinners? Fake church-going sinners? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. This is kind of a, the statement of... I've heard for decades. Mm -hmm. it, it's really interesting. And, and I think, I don't know if I ever thought this way, but I know I have family that think this way. Mm -hmm. per, I mean, my own personal family. I have friends. I have people. Um, even just recently, I've gotten into discussions. Um, and I know that's a really tough one. And I come at it with all different sides. First mm -hmm. off, the person says, I don't want to go to church because they're hypocrites. Well, then I say, well, do you go to the grocery store? Well, of course, got to have food. Well, there's hypocrites. I mean, mm -hmm. where are you going to draw the line? Do you go buy your gas at gas stations? I'm sure there's hypocrites there. So, you, you know, that's a really bad excuse. There's hypocrites at the church, so I don't want to go. That's kind of just a, a, an excuse that isn't very intelligent mm -hmm. in, my, in my estimation. However... Um, we talked a little bit about this when I did my program on, on assembling uh, warnings about assembling uh, yourselves together and the Bible talks about assembling and one of the things and I don't remember if I mentioned this on the program or not 
But Jesus, in Luke, it says he went to the synagogue and read mm -hmm. from the scripture. And it says, as he always did as a regular habit. Mm -hmm. Now, my thinking is, I am absolutely sure he did not agree with all those Pharisees mm -hmm. in those synagogues. I am absolutely sure he did not like the way that they taught in the synagogues. But it said he not only did he go, he went regularly. Regularly. Mm -hmm. So what does that say to us? Again, back to the, if he is our role model, he is our example, then we are to follow and become like him and do the things that he showed us to do, mm -hmm. which means we should go regularly, mm -hmm. <laughs> whether we agree with people, like people or not. I mean, he ran into all kinds of arguments with the same people that he went to synagogue with. And he would, you know, I don't know. I just I just think that there's a there's a tremendous problem in your own self when you don't want to do something because you want to make an excuse like uh, they're sinners or they're hypocrites or, you know, their uh, religion's man-made. That's another one. Okay. So what religion is man-made? Well, there's religion that's man-made that says, well, you know, if if you're a Christian and you say that you're, you have this problem in life, like you were divorced or something like that, you can't be a member in our church. Mm -hmm. That definitely is man-made. Mm -hmm. Okay. If uh, you're a Christian, you know, and on... Uh, then, you know, we, we're really against um, going to circuses or the theater, and, you know, and that's man-made. And they might tell you if you do that, you might go to hell. I mean, there's things like that. Those are man-made, absolutely bottom line. But there are, there are re religious factions or factors in the Scripture that are God-made, and it needs to be perfectly clear. God made this religion that we pray to him. Mm -hmm. Do we pray to Jesus in church? Absolutely. Absolutely. God created tithing. Mm -hmm. Okay? Not man. It's not a man-made thing. It's a God-made thing. Okay? Back in Abraham, when Abraham gave to the, the Melchizedek. And then he talks about it again in Hebrews in the New Testament. So basically, you know, those two things, uh, going and assembling together on a regular basis, is a God-created religion. Mm-hmm. You know, he, and he not only going to an assemble, he in the commandment, it says, you know, to recognize the Sabbath day wow. and keep it mm -hmm. holy. Not the Sabbath hour, not YouTube for the half hour the guy's preaching, but the Sabbath day and keep it holy. So basically, these are things that God tells us that are God made religion. Now, when we look at what Christianity is, what Judaism is at its purest core. Mm -hmm. We see Judaism at its purest core and Christianity at its purest core is a relationship. It's a relationship with God himself and it's a relationship with other believers. That is what it is. It is not a religion, but there are religious things that God put in place to help us create strength in our lives, to mm -hmm. have good character in our lives and build on that so that we can honor him those what that is why god created those things now unfortunately you have churches and men in the churches and leaders and all this to create their own stuff for whatever reason whether it be power whether it be guilt whatever it, they want the numbers and i understand that it doesn't mean you need to go to that particular church mm -hmm. however if that's you know if you don't have much of a choice 
What did Jesus do? He went to the synagogues where he didn't agree with them. Mm-hmm. He didn't care for their teaching. And he went there to help change the teaching. He went to help change the people. He went there to, with a mission to show that they need to live a certain way to honor him. And if for anything, you know, that is should be our, our, our foundation. I met a guy about 30 years ago who became, a, he was a Catholic, and he became a believer in Jesus. Back when the Catholic Church didn't have a lot of that, it was almost all denomination. And he continued to go to the Catholic Church, and he said that, I will, I will continue to go to the Catholic Church because I am concerned about the people who go there, that if I can be a witness for Jesus, that they will turn from worshiping, you know, the creed and religion and start worshiping Jesus. For anything, if that's all you do, then at least you're doing what God is wanting us to do, which is to assemble, mm-hmm. you know, and not worry about the hypocrites. Jesus didn't worry about the hypocrites. Yeah. Got to worry about your own self. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. And, and it's our it's our responsibility. In fact, when Jesus set up the church, the New, the New Testament, mm-hmm. it's a, it's like our responsibility and it's our heritage. He did this and he told us to carry on. Mm-hmm. It's our heritage. Why would we stop doing that? Because we want to surf on the beach? You know, because we want to go play golf all day? I mean, because, you know, what is it that we give up or don't give up so that we don't go to church. Yeah. So we don't honor the day with our family or, or so forth. Yeah. Always this, uh, I heard it once and I, I actually have it written on my computer. It's if I say yes to this, what am I saying no to? So if I say yes to those other things, I'm saying no to God, right? I'm saying no, that I'm not going to do this, but I'm going to say yes over here. And so it's easy to say no to things when you know what the consequences are. Yeah. So I have it like on my computer. It helps me keep within my boundaries and not overcommit too much. Still do, but not as much. <laughs> you spent a lot of time on two questions. <laughs> I know. I told you. And you got like 17 or something. <laughs> okay. They're good questions. Um, okay. This is good too. Um, for, from Eastern Europe. And I've always wondered this too, right? I, so I really want to hear your answer. I'm, I'm interested. You mentioned that God speaks to us through his word. How do you know when it is God speaking and not your own mind? You know, I used to wonder that myself. Um, Good question. Number one, there's two, there's two areas here that are really important we understand, I think, are the foundation. Mm-hmm. There's too many people say, oh, it's all about God's word. He is the, the ultimate. That is the ultimate source. And I think that it's not true. I'm sure I'm going to get hate mail for this. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we do. We spice it up, Alan. If you don't have some haters in life, you're doing something wrong. And, and the reason I say that is because the, I really do believe that the, the Scripture is the Word of God, that basically He is the author of, of the Scripture, writing through the people in their temperaments or their personalities and so forth. I, I truly believe that without a shadow of a doubt. I believe that if you take the Bible and you read it, correctly without pulling things out and mixing things up that it has no contradiction to it that makes it a perfect book okay Mm -hmm. but i think we cannot take away from that when we think about what is god speaking to me god's character 
because the way we see God's character has a lot to do with the way we understand or think or perceive God's word. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, okay, God wants me to be happy. So because he wants me to be happy, they're able to justify what they'll do based on the, the happiness that God wants them to be. That's not part of the scripture, and we can definitely compare that to God's character and realize that's not what God is about. Mm-hmm. God is, number one, and foremost, holy. God is holy, and from his holiness comes the things that we like to hear about, love. Mm-hmm. Why is love so important? Because we all want love, see love, have love, whatever. But love has to be perfect if it's going to be from God. The only way it's perfect is if it comes out of his holiness. Mm-hmm. Same thing with his forgiveness or his anger or his justification or righteousness it all comes from holiness so when we see God's characteristics and then we have the scripture and we apply that then we can see the Bible as what it's saying to me let me compare it to God's characteristics if it doesn't match the characteristics then we got a problem with what we see in the word mm-hmm. and if we think God is telling us something and it doesn't match one or the other then most likely it's not God most likely it's my own mind thinking that I'm justifying or this is what I've learned. Where did I learn this? Well, maybe my dad. You know, who knows? Sorry, dad. It's not true. But I mean, you know. <laughs> but we do that. We, we've learned something from somewhere in our life and it comes into mind and we think, oh, read a Bible scripture. Oh, well, that must be God. But if it doesn't match his characteristics, remember, the th- one thing about God is he'll never do anything that's opposed to his own self, mm. his own characteristics. God says in Leviticus, I never lie. And I never does, he never does anything opposed to himself. Mm-hmm. If that's true, then his characteristics, his attributes have to match and align perfectly with the scripture. When you have those two in line, mm-hmm. then when you're reading the scripture and, and you feel that you're being spoken to, then most likely God is speaking to you. Mm-hmm. If you have something out of line here, most likely that's your own mind. And most likely it's something else speaking to you. And that's how you can compare a lot of that into how, if you believe when you read the scripture, if God is speaking to you or not. Hmm. I think that's interesting because, I mean, we do. We do tend to justify things. Um, or, you know, I don't know. Like, we'll take this part of his characteristics, but I don't want to do this part. And I've got a good reason for it, justification. Well, it's just like the you know, thing about love. You know, I know this lady whose brother died, wasn't a believer, but she couldn't believe that he would ever go to hell. So she has this whole uh, mindset that God is love and he wouldn't have anybody or let anybody go to hell. So therefore, hell doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not scriptural. That wouldn't fit in the scripture, nor does it fit in God's characteristics because God is a just God. Mm-hmm. And so... You know, even if you bring out the scriptures, like I brought this one scripture, it says, well, you know, he made, you know, the lake of fire and hell, you know, for torment and this and that. He says, well, that's really God's burning love of fire. I mean, they, so they, they twist the scripture. Mm. and But it still, it doesn't match the characteristic God's care attributes. And it's mm. got to do that to make it work all together. Yeah, you know. I agree. That's a good question. I won't spend 15 minutes on it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, this one's from the United States. Um, You said that it is obedience to God that we have salvation. I want you all to know that he put this in big print because otherwise I have to wear my reading glasses. Okay. (laughs) 
<laughs> you said that it was obedience to God that we have salvation. I believe that you are wrong. Someone called you wrong, Alan. Well, I you had ready? that just last Sunday. All right. <laughs> the scriptures say that without faith, you cannot please God. The scriptures also say that we need to confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and just believe in our heart that Jesus was raised from the dead and we will be saved. So according to the Bible, there's nothing more I need to do. The Bible also says that salvation is not by works, and I believe obeying is salvation by works. I accept Jesus as my Savior, and therefore I am saved. That's it? That's it. That's a lot. That is a lot. Okay. So Can we break it down? Yeah, we're going to have to. Okay. Okay, so first part, um, let's go to that scripture from Romans that he just said, um, believe, confess with your mouth, believe in your heart that Jesus mm-hmm. is Lord. Okay. First off, in I have a real, it's one of my pet peeves that, that they've been doing in churches lately, or last several years, is that they'll have people... They'll spout off this passage of scripture that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord, believe in your heart that he is risen from the dead, that you're saved. And as long as you think that you do it and you mean it, you're saved. If you, whatever you do after that, doesn't matter. You're going to heaven. You can sin. It doesn't matter. You're good to go. And I have a real problem with that because it's the passage isn't that simple. And if you go to the next passage, it talks about believing from your heart unto righteousness so mm-hmm. it actually goes into it a little bit deeper but when we talk about confessing the the greek terminology actually has the meaning of something we we have deep in our gut that we bring out that we believe so deeply that it comes out and we are part of that the word believe is pursue that's mm-hmm. that word and it is an active verb so the problem is if I believe that Jesus rose from the dead and, and all I'm doing is I'm thinking it's true, which is what Webster's Dictionary says, it's not what the Greek word means. So when we say that I believe that Jesus is risen from the dead, is that we're acting upon that. Mm-hmm. And so in the, in the Gospel of John, it writes about, I don't know, 90, 99 times that word believe. And it's all about acting on, okay, the revelation or the or the following the teachings of Jesus, following the teachings of the scripture. Uh, those are active verbs. Those are, that's obedience. Mm-hmm. Okay. To say that I believe because I think he's true is a very humanistic way of, of uh, and a not biblical way of saying that I, I'm, I'm a Christian. Okay. Mm-hmm. But if you are acting upon following the teachings of Jesus, following the teachings of the Bible, then you're saying that I truly follow him. He is my Lord. And there's a difference between saying he's my Savior and he's my Lord. Okay, we'll get in that in a little bit. But back to that passage. So it's one thing to say that I could say this prayer. And by the way, there's no prayer in the Bible that says here's salvation, prayer salvation. It's, it's a created prayer that happened probably a couple hundred years ago. And that is what it is. There are many people that think that if you pray this prayer, then you go to heaven. If you don't pray the prayer, you go to hell. Hmm. Well, what happened if there was no prayer for 1,800 years? Do all those people go to hell? Yeah. See, it's not real. It's, just, it's something that was created to make it easy for people to, to capture and, and go on. Mm-hmm. So... Um, 
obedience. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey me. I guess I could almost say, now this is my interpretation, is that if you don't love him, or you don't obey him, rather, you don't love him. Because that's just the opposite of what he just said. Um, following the teachings of Jesus is an act of obedience. It, it really is. I mean, you have to understand that to believe in him is to follow. To follow him is, is obedience. Now, it says that we um, confess him as Lord. Okay, so let me pick that apart. So what is a Lord? Your master. What do you do with your master and your a Lord? You obey them. Okay. The last part of that, read that very last part of that. Um, okay. The Bible also says that salvation is not by works, and I believe obeying is salvation by works. I accept Jesus as my Savior, and therefore I am saved. Okay. So the, I guess that's out of Ephesians chapter 2 where it says, you know, we um, have salvation. Salvation is by grace through faith. Okay, mm-hmm. and it's not by works that any man should boast. That's the next verse. I think it's verse nine, um, and it goes in verse ten. And it says that you know we were created for good works. You know, so mm-hmm. actually it is there. And the question, he's right. We do not become saved because of our works. That that is absolutely true. You know, I can't be good enough and do good enough in order to be saved. However, we have to understand when he says, you know, uh, it's by faith. Okay, so if we go to Hebrews chapter 11, you know, it says, it tells us what faith is. Faith is when God told Noah to build the ark and he built the ark. Mm -hmm. He obeyed him and did what he said, and that is his faith. Okay, well then faith is an active verb also at this point. So we have to understand it's more than just I think he's true, and therefore I said this prayer, and so I'm good to go. Mm-hmm. Um, the last thing he said on this question was that he or she, I really don't know if it's a he or she, uh, said that I accept Jesus as my Savior. Okay. Well, first off, that is totally biblically and theologically incorrect statement. There's nowhere in the Bible that it says I accept Jesus as my Savior to be saved. Ever. So it's, it's not reality, biblically. What the Bible does say is that we pro- profess him or call on him to be Lord of our life. Mm-hmm. Call on the Lord to be saved. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's a whole different idea of Savior and Lord. Mm-hmm. And it never says we accept him as Lord. We call on him. We turn to him. We make him our Lord. Mm-hmm. So it's an act of obedience to turn to him, to make him Lord of our life, and follow his teachings. Mm-hmm. It's all part of that group that says, you know, you are my Lord now because I'm following you and you are my master because I do what you say. I'm obeying you. Mm-hmm. And never does it say, I accept you. Because, you know, that's a church thing that's been around for a while that's now watered down Christianity. And it never says, accept as Savior. That's another thing. That's not our responsibility. Our responsibility is to turn to him and make him Lord of our lives. Mm-hmm. As far as Savior goes, that's Jesus' responsibility. That's his job. When we make him Lord of our life, he in turn becomes our Savior. Okay? That's nothing we do. We do something. We have a responsibility of turning to him and making him our Lord. But then Jesus, in fact, saves us because of that. Yeah, I think that, you know, that's a really good explanation of it. Um, And I think maybe... 
I don't know. Because they do do it in the church that I attend. Um, and it may be a way to recognize those who haven't and for the, the minister to like pick them out, like to make sure they follow up. But um, to me, it's kind of like equating if I, which he's not my husband, Susan. <laughs> but if I said Alan's my husband, but everything that I did didn't show that and didn't honor or respect him as my husband, right? And that's like saying, God, you know, Jesus is my savior, but yet I'm going to go do all this other stuff. So you're not living and not obeying and obedience to who you say is your master. I had a discussion with somebody more than once. And this mm-hmm. one particular person I'm thinking of, we were talking about things that they he did and a lifestyle that he had. And it was a sinful lifestyle. I mean, it was sinful. I don't need to go into it. But it was basically from his life, from his heart, he thought it was okay to live in sin, to live in a sinful way because... Once he's saved, you're always saved. Therefore, and the pastor told him, you can sin, doesn't matter what you do, God, you, you're covered, your sins are covered from now until eternity, mm-hmm. and you're good. Well, the problem with that isn't, I agree that you can commit a sin and you're okay. But when you have a lifestyle of sin, and sin is basically on the throne of your life, that's a whole different problem. That's where the Bible talks about, like in 1 John, you know, we need to be careful of you know, the, the pride of life, the lust of the eye, lust of the flesh, because mm-hmm. that's what's going to keep us from God. Well, that's what's in us. If we live like that and do that, God is not going to honor a prayer mm-hmm. from our lips if our actions are, I'm living for the devil. Mm-hmm. See, now if I go out and I do something wrong, if I go and trip you in the hallway, I know that's a sin. Well, that's not the same thing. Okay. Yeah. So that leads me to the next question because we're going to get another question. Maybe two. Um, From the United Kingdom, can a pastor who teaches the Bible incorrectly be a false prophet? Okay. So I talked about false prophets. I really went into that. You did? You got a couple of questions on here. I'm trying to tie it all together. Well, that's because, that's because in, in the false prophet area, people think of false prophets of when the Bible says, Jesus says, people will come in my name, okay? And, and people come in as false prophets. And so we think about people as false prophets as somebody who says they're Jesus or they make prophecies and they say thing you know God is coming tomorrow and so he doesn't so they're a false prophet and we have this idea that these false prophets are, are this thing over here. A false prophet is somebody who is a teacher, preacher, speaker, apostle, whatever, of God, okay, or of themselves, whatever, and is teaching a false doctrine of the Bible. I'm not talking about teachers like myself or preachers who might stand up and preach something or say something that might be incorrect because they just may be ignorant or naive or they got taught to run themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm talking about people who actually teach false doctrine, mm-hmm. okay? And those people who teach false doctrine, I would consider them as false prophets. A prophet in the Old Testament is not somebody who just t- tells the future. That's a few of the prophets, 100% of the prophets, and I said this on my program, are all those who stand for the truth, speak the truth, tell the truth. And it's said that any prophet who says something that is not true or doesn't come true is not a true prophet of God. So when you have a prophet or a person who's teaching 
scripture and teach it, teaches it continually false, that person is standing for false teaching and is a false prophet. Hmm. So I would say to that person, yes, a pastor can be a false prophet. Wow. This one is from Eastern Europe as well. Same thing. I thought that false prophets were people who claim to be Jesus and those who come in his name. So why do you say that false prophets are those who teach wrong things of the scripture? So, I mean, coming in his name. And I answered the first part of that question right there. So a false prophet, the, the person who comes in his name isn't somebody who says, hi, I'm Jesus. Mm -hmm. Let's put that aside. Somebody who says, I'm in his name, coming in his name, speaking in his name, is somebody who says they're representing who he is. Mm -hmm. I'm representing Jesus. That's somebody coming in his name. Okay? If you say, I represent Jesus, and you go somewhere to do something, you are coming in his name. Mm -hmm. Anybody can do that. Okay? And claim, "I'm, I'm, I'm in Jesus. I'm coming in his name. Because you're coming as you're speaking the words of Jesus. So as you speak, and if they're not the words of Jesus, and they're not scriptural, then you're coming in his name, claiming to be in his name, but speaking falsely. Therefore, you would be deemed a false prophet. Hmm. I'm not sure I caught the last part of that question. Um, okay. I circled it. Oh. Why do you say that false prophets are those who teach wrong things of the scripture? Yeah, and, and I answered that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was a similar question. Um, so, back on, if the Bible has so many translations then, right? We're talking about false prophets and different teachings that differ from each other. Then how can you say that Christianity is true because it is the word of God and always correct and never disagrees with itself? This is from Asia. Okay. Um, I understand the problem with so many diverse translations. And in translations, you have two basic lines of translations. And then you have paraphrases. And that's not a translation. You know, like mm-hmm. the Living Bible is a paraphrase, not a translation. Sometimes I think the Living uh, uh, NLT, the New Living Test, Testament, sometimes I think that's almost a, a paraphrase in some parts, mm-hmm. but it's considered a translation. But you have two basic, you have a conservative translations, in which I would consider like King James, New King James, New American Standard, Revised Standard Version. Those are, those are conservative translations. And you have other sides of the coin, like you know, your NIV would be a little more liberal. I think that is more in the middle of the road, actually, because there are some good part of those translations, but there's some that I would think a little less, a little more liberal. Then you have others that are, like I said, the NLT is pretty liberal. Mm-hmm. Um, the good news, I believe, is, is really liberal. And there's some other liberal ones. The message is, is liberal. I'm not sure message is liberal translation or a paraphrase. But in all this myths, to get to the answer of this, is that regardless of the translation, the, the actual language is still the actual language. And because just because we translate it into something else that, you know, maybe we want to get something easier to read. And that's mm-hmm. usually why we have tra- translated something different. Like a King James Version, you know, it's, it's, it's in a language that was, of English, it was spoken, you know, 
600 years ago, 500 years ago. <laughs> you know, we don't do that anymore. You don't speak Shakespeare? No. <laughs> Elizabethan, is that, you know? But, um, but basically, no. Hath you, doth, whatever it is. Yeah, we don't do that. So translating to like the New King James Version takes all those out. Like mm-hmm. instead of saying thou art, it'll say you are. I mean, well, that's perfect sense, mm-hmm. you know, and we speak this way. So in that case, the new, new King James Version, I think, has just the same kind of credibility as the King James Version. It's just up more up to date. But when you change entire meanings, then you have problems. Now, the, the problem is... And I got to be careful here. Um, has a lot to do with people who are teaching, preaching, so forth, who may take things out of a passage and teach on the very surface of the of the teaching mm-hmm. and not really get into the actual language that it comes from. And let me, off the top of my head, all I can think of this might be a bad example, but let's say First Corinthians seven. It says in uh, King James um, that uh, that a man is is not to touch a woman. Mm-hmm. Okay, I know people from a couple different denominations that truly believe because of that passage right there that it is a sin to hold hands or kiss a woman before you get married mm-hmm. because of that line. Then you have new, new international version. It says, you know, it's best that you not get married. Well, that's totally different than not touch one another. There's two different meanings. Mm-hmm. So you have to go back to the Greek. What does the Greek say? When it talks about not touching, the word touch in the Greek literally means to have a connection in relationship, like going steady or being engaged. Mm-hmm. It's best you not. Then he goes on to say, but if you're lusting after each other, it's better you get married. Okay. See, so it's all about the relationship, but you've got to go back to the language. Mm-hmm. And those people who are teaching uh, seriously like this need to get to into the language. There's even if you don't take Greek or Hebrew in school, I never took Hebrew, but I have a, a vast amount of a library that helps me. With not just a strong. I'm talking about like encyclopedias that help me with my my uh, languages mm-hmm. that are able to define this for people. And if, if you don't have that, you need to get it if you're teaching or preaching to people so that it can, becomes better and clearer to those you're teaching to. So the Bible itself is good. The translations, we've got to be careful. We really need to be careful. And even these work, these uh, study Bibles, you've got to be careful. Who, who's the editor? Is it an editor who's you know all Calvinistic, or is he all Wesleyan, or do you only believe in this? Or, you got to be careful because his editorial will make people think and believe certain things outside of the Scripture because that's his thought, and they're thinking because it's in the Bible, it's got to be true. Mm-hmm. And we got to be careful of those things. Yeah. Well, I have a challenge for you. Uh oh. So, I would like to see you, for my friend Tim, speak conservative. In your Bible study on Sunday, everything has to be a thou. So we have a, a, a in our Bible study that Alan leads us. Um, Tim is a great man, but we, I like to pick on him. So I would love to hear that. <laughs> Please give him once. <laughs> well, and, you know, 
and and people do things. They'll say a word. We had a discussion. We're we're actually teaching on the end times, and the word we're talking about the tribulation, the tribulation, the great tribulation. Yeah. And using the word tribulation, he's saying, well, since it says we'll have tribulation, is equal, equal equivalent to the tribulation, but it's two different things. I mean, you know, if anybody gets married, they're going to have tribulation. It doesn't right. mean it's the tribulation. So they are two different things. And so the problem is he gets into his mind this word. It must equate to everything. And that's not reality. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking in the old, like, and he likes to call it the uh, Testaments 1 and 2, right? 1 and 2. Old and new. I love him. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Oh, we got five minutes. got nine minutes. Nine minutes. Oh, okay. Um, Let me see. Oh, so for this is from the United States. Since Abraham, Moses, David, and the other prophets were from the Old Testament and lived before Jesus, will they be in heaven or hell? And since the only way to the Father is through Jesus. Okay. It's a great question. I do know that there are denominations that believe that only Christians after Jesus has risen, only the people who accept him and make him Jesus, Lord of their life are going to heaven. That Jews before Jesus, because they didn't accept Jesus or make Jesus Lord, can't go to heaven. So God deals with them differently. And those same people, a lot of them believe that the Jews will be dealt with during the tribulation. And that's what the tribulation is for, is only the Jews. Not scriptural. Okay. First off, you understand, who is Jesus? Jesus is God. Okay. It says in in John that through Jesus, all things were created. Nothing was created except for through him. So let's go back to Genesis. Genesis says, you know, it says that we will make man in our image, in our likeness. I mean, who are we talking about? And it goes into areas like when Abraham was visited, mm-hmm. okay, by angels and uh, the angel of the Lord, which is, Believed by, and I'm sure by lots of these people, that was the Son of God. Well, who's the Son of God? Jesus. Mm-hmm. So if Jesus, and I can't say Jesus the man, Jesus the Son, okay? He obviously didn't have the name Jesus in the Old Testament. But if the Son of God, who we know has become Jesus later, if we know that that the Son of God dealt with Joshua, dealt with Abraham, dealt with Jacob, these people in the Old Testament, then we have to believe that the Son of God had direct uh, relationship with these people in the Old Testament. David talks about, you know, having eternal life with God. I mean, it's, it's taught that, you know, that they will be those who are righteous and living according to honoring God and, and so forth will go to a place of rest, you know, mm-hmm. the paradise, basically, and be in the bosom of Abraham until the resurrection. I mean, they believe in all this. And so if they're teaching this and the scriptures are teaching this, well, if you rule that out, then you're saying the Bible's not totally accurate through the whole Bible. Only the New mm-hmm. Testament is. Well, see, now you got a problem with your interpretation of the Bible. So... Of course they're going to live with Jesus and live with God for eternity. That's part of the whole situation. A person who is becomes a believer after Jesus ascends to heaven, the Bible says, Romans, it, uh, Paul says that we Gentiles are grafted into Israel, mm-hmm. into where the Jews are. 
Okay, there are lots of Jews that were broken off. The vine, those branches were broken off the vine mm -hmm. because of unbelief, because of those things in rebellion. But we're put into the vine. We're put into Judaism. Mm -hmm. The first hundred years or so of Christianity was actually Judaism. I mean, that's what they did. They, they believed in the, the scriptures were not Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Corinthians and Romans, it wasn't that. It was the Old Testament. Those were the scriptures. So when we talk about the scriptures in the New Testament, we're talking about the Old Testament scriptures. And I think that when people get this idea that the Jews are, are one thing, since they deny God, all Jews are going to hell, that's, that's a misnomer, and it's not scriptural at all. And I think we need to realize that God, in his grace and his mercy and his love, is that for those who believe in him did david believe in him absolutely did abraham absolutely didn't jesus himself say he's the father and deal with it. he never denied it abraham was the father of the jews and talked about moses okay so if that's the case we can't separate that out of course they're going to be in god with god of course of course it's going to be for eternity jesus came as the jewish messiah so we can't do that scripturally. Your denomination may do that, but you need to rethink what you're thinking about or believing of that denomination if it's apart from what the scripture actually teaches. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. I love the whole image of just the grafting too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, even, even Paul says, don't get so cocky or arrogant to think that, you know, if you don't do what they did and got broken off, that you won't be broken off also. Mm -hmm. I mean, he says we need to be in line, mm -hmm. you know. So there, there's a lot of bad teaching about the absence or division of Jews and, and Gentiles or, or before Old Testament and New Testament. But it's, it's not. It, it's really not. And I think that it's, it's really a, a shame to th for those people who don't take in the fact that, you know, we have these great fathers of our faith, Abraham, Isaac, jo Jacob, Joseph, mm -hmm. you know, that were honoring to God, you know, and, and believe that we need to follow that. The Bible, Old Testament talks a lot about praying for Israel, praying for the peace of Jerusalem. I mean, we today... New Testament believers need to be doing that. Mm -hmm. That's just part of what we, we're being commanded to do and, and part of our heritage again. Yeah, just on board. Are we almost there? Almost there. We got like a <laughs> bit and a half. <laughs> uh, do we have time for a question? Probably not, unless you have something you want to say. Um, I think so. I mean, I think it, it's been a great session. I enjoy doing this with you. And I really enjoy the questions that you all put out to us because um, there are sometimes things that we're thinking about um, and haven't really gotten answered. And I love the clarification that you provide behind it and staying strictly to what the Bible says. Well, you know, so. I do this because when I was a kid and I asked questions, you know, like I came from a, a real bad background. And, you know, I came from an alcoholic mother and family and people I hung out with. And so when I was 17 years old and I asked the pastor, is it, you know, what is the is drinking alcohol wrong? And of course, you know, well, you're not 21. Okay, so, so I'm talking about 
mm-hmm. when you, if you're of age. Well, the Bible says it's a sin. Oh, okay. Well, you know, and and says it's wrong to drink alcohol. Well, then when I found that out, it wasn't true. Then I, and I asked other questions, and those weren't true. I had I had problems. Then I became a youth pastor, and I had all these teenagers that wouldn't ask questions. And I like, finally, why aren't you asking? Why would you not ask questions? Well, we've asked this question from a pastor or from a parent or whatever, and they just shut us down. Mm-hmm. Well, that's terrible. So that's why I have this is because I did this in my teaching when I was teacher, a high school Bible teacher, even a, a professor in a university. I made sure they asked questions because I want them to know the truth. And I want them to be able to check my answers with the Bible. Mm-hmm. Make sure that I'm telling the truth. Make sure that what I'm saying comes from Scripture. And if it isn't, they need to come back to me and say, you know what, you said this, but the Bible says that. And see, and challenge me if, mm-hmm. if that's the case. Just like this person said, I think you're wrong. Mm-hmm. That's good. I like that. Yeah. You know? I know. I have yet to see you get rattled. <laughs> I think one of these days I'm going to rattle Alan. I just don't know when. I've got to find the right question. Well, I don't, it doesn't bother me if somebody <laughs> disagrees with me. I, you know. Well, we're, time's up, but it's been good. Thank you, Alan, for having me. I really appreciate it. Uh, well, you. it's such a joy. So I only have a couple more weeks. Um, I think that in two weeks I'm going to have a program where actually I'm going to have Susan on because we're going to Moldova. We want to talk about that, about yeah. missions and yeah. missionaries and stuff like that. So, but anyway, thanks for joining us. I really hope you enjoy our, our question answer period or questions on the fly and uh, keep bringing in the questions. And I know that we didn't cover all of these. I know there were other questions that we didn't even bring to the studio and um, we'll probably have to have this a little more often. Yeah, it'll so, be fun. Yeah. So have a wonderful day, a wonderful week and aloha. Alan Cutting and the Believer's Journey radio program seeks to teach the Word of God in a clear and practical manner. For more information, please visit the podcast page at am630theword.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here. Here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. Salemnow.com.